Well, we, the, the people of Alliance Bible Fellowship, face several challenges when we face or uh, when we approach the Scripture, especially if you were raised in a Christian home, especially if you were raised in an American home. And, and by the way, recent surveys show that three-quarters of Americans call themselves Christians. Has that been your experience? You see, with the former, being raised in a Christian home, comes a sense of familiarity. And, and with the latter, being raised in an American home, comes a sense of entitlement. And so, I want to suggest that pride and prejudice are our birthright. If we were raised in a Christian home, or, or at least a church-going home, you, you probably heard the gospel or something like it all, all your life. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know that the good news of Jesus is for everyone who believes, regardless of race, gender, age, nationality, social class, whatever, class, whatever prejudicial divisions that we erect. You know that the gospel is for you. If you were raised uh, in an American home, you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. Well, uh, even if it was stainless steel, you knew that you were entitled to silver because pride and prejudice are our birthright. And so, it is hard for us to understand fully the grace that we have been shown. Somehow in our heart of hearts, somehow we think we deserved it. I mean, come on, really, it's just us American Christians here this morning. Let's just be honest, we're, we're better than the rest of the world. We're more educated, we're more civil, we're more, well, we're more good. I mean, we hardly even needed the gospel, and we certainly deserved it. We're not like those, well, those dirty savages. That, that, that's a bit harsh. That's a bit strong. We're not, like, we're not like those unbelievers in the rest of the world who followed false gods and depraved, you know, third world cultures. Now, now when, they, when they hear and, and believe the gospel, well, they get what they they don't deserve. And the message for us this morning is this. We got what we did not deserve. Paul writes Ephesians chapter 2 to tell us to remember. To remember who you were before the gospel came to you. You were not a deserving, entitled American raised in a good old Christian home. You were born dead in trespasses and sins. You walked, joyfully so, according to the dictates of this evil world, according to the evil world dictator, the prince of demons, and you walked according to your own sinful, lustful, self-indulgent flesh. 
you were deserving of nothing but the wrath of God. But God, being rich in mercy because of His great love for us, even when we were dead, even when we were undeserving, made us alive and and saved us by His lavish grace through faith. It was free, it was undeserved, it was unearned, it was an unmerited gift so that we would never have room to boast, so that all praise would redound to His glory. There is not to be a shred of self-adulation, self-congratulation, or self-promulgation. We must remember always the grace that we've been shown. We must remember who we were and who we are solely by God's grace. You see, this, Paul continues to keep before us proud people that we tend to be. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of any of your works so that no one can boast. For we are, we're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, those good works which He prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Therefore, Paul says, remember, remember, lose the proud presumption that you were of a privileged class of people called American Christians. Lose any sense that we are God's gift to the world. Stop viewing the world through condescending superiority. Remember. Remember what? Well, our text tells us, Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, therefore remember that formerly you, Gentiles in the flesh, you who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. Remember that you were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Remember that you were strangers to the covenants of promise. Remember that you had no hope. And remember that you were without God in the world. That is who we were. Say, well, I've never been that. That's the problem. If you're a Gentile, that is you're not a Jew, that is who you were. You see, somehow, maybe because of our political alliance with Israel, you know, being Americans and all, we think... We think we have the inside track. But, but remember that Paul now directs his pen toward Gentiles in the flesh. That would be most of us in this room. Remember. Why? To, to, to fill us with guilt and, and self-loathing? No, it's not my purpose. It's not Paul's purpose this morning. But rather to fill us with humble gratitude. 
look at who we were, which, by the way, is the first point of our outline this morning. We're going to see who we were in those verses 11 and 12. Then we're going to see who we are in verse 13, and then we're going to see how we got there in verses 14 and following. Who we were. It's bad news. News, nonetheless, that Paul wants us to remember. He identifies his intended, his intended audience as Gentiles uh, in the flesh. That, that, that means non-Jews. Again, we're not, we're not so bothered by that today because we're Americans. We're, we're, we're the self-sufficient, self-dependent, self-indulgent leaders of the world. But, but Paul reminds us we're just Gentiles. That means we were of the uncircumcision. I need to tell you what that means without sounding crass. The word literally is the word foreskins. It, it, it was used in the most derisive way possible by Jews toward us. Pagan Gentiles. The word slid condescendingly from their, hatefully from their lips, you dirty foreskins. And you say, but, 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 but wait, I'm circumcised. That's fine. We're not talking about a medical procedure. We're talking, about, we're talking about not being part of the covenant family of Israel. You see, it was, it was to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants that the, that the covenant of circumcision was given. It was a sign to mark them as God's specially chosen people. Sure, it was just a sign, an outward act performed by, uh, in the flesh by human hands, but it was a sign of God's gracious choice and of and provision for them. And it was a bad deal not to be part of the covenant family. We, we, we are so far removed from that, so familiar. Remember, that's our, that's our problem, our familiarity with Scripture. So familiar with Scripture, so proud of our American heritage that this doesn't do much to us today. But Paul is telling us this morning to remember. Apart from the verses that follow Gentiles, you're in big trouble. You were those you were those dirty savages. I know that's strong. You, you were not part of the covenant family. Now, by saying, you Gentiles who were called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, Paul is tipping his hat to the fact that, that, Jaws, uh, that Jews had a problem too. They, they were proud <laughs> This sounds familiar. They were proud of their circumcision. They began to focus on the outward right rather than what the right pointed to, God's gracious, unmerited choice of them. In fact, when he says, performed in the flesh by human hands, that's a very specific phrase that appears in the Old Testament to speak of, of the molding and making of of idols. The Jews would have known this. The idols were made by human hands. This was, a, this was a direct slap in the face of Jews. But nevertheless, um, we're not Jews. We're Gentiles. Again, I don't want to offend your 
sensibilities. Um, dirty foreskins. Uncircumcision. No, no part of the nation of Israel, which means we're in big trouble. Why? He goes on to tell us in verse 12, he wants us to remember that we had five major problems. This list of disadvantages is the inverse of the advantages that Paul lists in Romans 9, uh, 3, and, uh, 3 to 5. I'm not going to take the time to read that because that's them. Let's look at who we were. First, we were separate from Christ. Before salvation, we were without Christ Yes, and it is true that, that unsaved Jewish people were and are separate um, from Christ too w- without salvation from Jesus. That's true, but that's not what he means here. What he means is Gentiles were apart from the truth about the Christ. Gentiles were not even looking for the promise and hope of the Messiah. The, the Messiah. You weren't even looking for it. Second, we were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. That means we had no part of the nation of Israel, which, which had received a, in special and abundant ways God's clear favor, God's, God's grace. Gentiles were outside of God's special attention. I know we think we're special. We were outside. Third, we were strangers to the covenants of promise. Since we were excluded from Israel, we were strangers to the covenants that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with with Moses, and and with David, which inured to the benefit of of Israel. The covenants were were the way that God showed His gracious provision to His people. They were covenants of promise, and that they promised present and future blessings to His people. This was not available to those outside His people. Fourth, as a result, we were hopeless. Without a relationship with the Jewish God, there was no objective hope um, for our eternal souls. There was was no hope for a future messianic kingdom in, in which the Christ would reign. Remember, we weren't even looking for the Christ. To the, to the very depths of our souls, there was no hope. And fifth, we were godless. It's very, that's, that's, that's very significant. You see, Gentiles were not religionless. I mean, my goodness, they, they, they were polytheistic. They had tons of gods. But Paul says that they were, we were godless. Because you see, Zeus... And Diana, and Hermes, and Isis, and oh, and, and, and Allah, and Vishnu, and, and Krishna are not gods. We were without God. Get this, the word literally there that's used, there's the only place in the, in the, in the Scripture that's used, is we were atheists. Without God, it's the word from which we get our word atheist. We were atheists. What? Yeah, because there is only one true and living God, and there's only one way to the true and living God, and that's the way that He prescribes. To worship any other God is to be an atheist. You don't have the true God. 
So he gave the covenants by which people were to approach him. Worshiping another God in our own made-up way, no good. Without the covenants to, to approach the true God, no hope, God-less. Lost without hope, without God, that is who we were. And, and we were undeserving of His attention. It is a very grim picture that Paul wants us to remember. Well, you say, yeah, well, of course, Paul was a Jew. He had that anti-Gentile bias. Of course he would say that about Gentiles. He said it of himself as well. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, it is a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners among whom I, Paul, am foremost of all. I'm, I'm the worst sinner that ever lived. Yet for this reason I found mercy, so that in me, the, the worst sinner that ever lived, Jesus Christ might demonstrate His perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in Him for eternal life. N now, as a result of that, to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. You see, the, 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 the intentioned purpose, the result of remembering is supposed to be praise. Because remembering who we were will keep us humble and it will make us thankful. It will drive away pride and prejudice. That's who we were. were. Let's move now to who we are. Verse 13, good news. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Paul is using very intentionally here a once now formula. Once you were this, remember that. And now you are this, remember that. Verse 13 reminds us of verse 4 after painting in the first three verses of this chapter a picture of our condition, dead in trespasses and sin, deserving nothing but the wrath of God. Verse 4, but God being rich in mercy, because of His great love, made us alive together with Christ. In this passage, apart from Christ, apart from the covenants, apart from the commonwealth, we were without, we were without God, uh, without hope, we were without God, we were far away, but now we've been brought near. There has been a reversal of our terrible, hopeless, helpless plight. It's a reference actually here uh, to Isaiah chapter 57, peace, peace to him who is far and to him who is near, says the Lord. There Isaiah is talking about how peace would be preached to those Jews who were far away, that is in the captivity, and to those who were near, that is those who remained in the land. But here Paul takes that and applies it to Gentiles who were far away. Uh, 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 how we have had peace preached to us, and we've been brought near. Now, in Christ Jesus, you Gentiles who were formerly far away, without, uh, without hope, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. We understand, of course, the blood of Jesus refers to His work on the cross, whereby with sins washed, 
And having been made alive in Christ, he has brought us close into actual relationship with God, which leads actually to our third point. How did we get here? Uh, certainly it's by the blood of Christ, but he, he elaborates on this. He tells us the next few verses. Look, look at those with me. Um, Ephesians 2 verse 14 says, For he, that is Christ himself, is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself, in Jesus, he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. So it sounds like a lot of words, but we can break it down. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by it having uh, put to death the enmity. And he came and, and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. That's that Isaiah 57 passage. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. There are two, there are two issues here um, that, that Paul deals with that we need to focus upon. The first issue is peace. Paul says Jesus is peace in verse 14. He established peace um, in verse 15, and then he preached peace in verse 17. And why was peace needed? Because of the second issue that we need to talk about, because we were not at peace. We were, at, in fact, at enmity. We were enemies. There was hostility. Where? Between who did that hostility exist? Well, between Jews and Gentiles to begin with, in other words, with one another, and also between us and God. This is a theologically rich passage. We Gentiles were formerly in big trouble. We were, we were far away from God, and God acted to bring us near by the work of His Son on the cross through the shedding of His own blood. The blessing of God's favor that once belonged to Israel now belongs to us. It's familiar. We've we got to remember Included in that blessing is the blessing of peace. Jesus is our peace. Interesting wording, not Jesus brought peace, but He is peace. By His work, He became our peace, and He did it by establishing peace between two groups of people and creating one new group and then reconciling this one new group with God. Look at, look at verse 14. He himself, that's emphatic in the Greek, that's why the word himself appears. He himself is our peace. He's our spiritual wholeness. He is our spiritual well-being. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. That's a lot of words. What does that mean? The two groups that were at, at enmity or uh, who were enemies of one another were Jews and Gentiles. We get this, or we at least have heard about it. They hated each other. The Jews looked very condescendingly at Gentiles. One author, uh, William Barclay, says it this way. The Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles said the Jews were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that He made. 
It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need, for that would simply be to bring another Gentile in the world. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. I mean, can you imagine the animosity and the mutual hatred that existed between these two groups? It makes the civil rights movement in the U.S. look like a playground. And Jesus brought peace horizontally, relationally, between these groups. How? How did He make these two former hostile enemies to be at peace? In fact, He says, how did He make us to be one? Well, He says, He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What does that mean? There are two historical facts that we need to remember. First, prior to Jesus' worship of the true and living God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, worship of the true God was localized. It happened in, in, in one place, um, at the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and we know that on the temple mount was built the temple itself, which represented the very presence of God. Within that temple was the holy place and the most holy place, or the holy of holies. Only Jewish priests, when they were on duty, could enter into the holy place to do things like change the showbread and light the candles and change the incense, things like that. But into the holy of holies, the most holy place where the Ark of the Covenant was, representing again the very presence of God, only the high priest could enter once a year on the Day of Atonement. Okay, so we have the, we have the temple. Outside this temple building was the court of the priests where only Jewish priests were allowed to go and offer sacrifices. Outside of the court of the priests, actually kind of moving its way eastward, we'll just say outside um, was the court of, of Israel where only Jewish men could go. There, there were walls around all of it. Only Jewish men could go. Outside of the court of Israel was the court of women where only Jewish women could go, and outside of that, by the way, after descending, I think it's like 14 steps, because it's not at the same level as the temple or the Jewish courts, after you descended, you went through a wall, there was the court of the Gentiles. Again, there's this four and a half foot wall surrounding the court, uh, the court of women, to, to keep Gentiles out. In, in fact, on 13 equidistant pillars on the wall uh, uh, around the court of women to keep Gentiles out were signs which read as follows. No foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who was caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. Not trespassers will be prosecuted, but trespassers will be executed. Now, get this picture in your mind. This whole structure spoke of two things, separation between God and man, no access, only the high priest, and that once a year, and separation between Jew and Gentile. And the Jews were very proud of that. You see, pride and prejudice was their birthright as well. There was animosity. There was enmity. There was hostility. 
That's the first historical thing you need to remember. The second historical event you need to remember is that Paul was in prison in Rome when he wrote Ephesians. Why was he there? Because a couple, two or three years before this, he was in Jerusalem and he was accused of bringing a Gentile into the Jewish court at the temple. He went past the wall. At least he was accused of that. A a riot ensued. He was arrested, spent some time in jail in Jerusalem, Caesarea. Now he's in Rome. And oh, by the way, he was accused of bringing an uncircumcised Gentile into the uh, court of of Israel, a, a Gentile named Trophimus who was from Ephesus. And so now Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and says that that division, that hostility, that enmity that existed between Jew and Gentile, Jesus broke it down. How did He do that? Verse 15, by abolishing in His flesh, that is by His death, the enmity, notice, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So he, He abolished Paul says, the law. At first glance, that's shocking. What do you mean Jesus abolished the law? I thought he said in the Sermon on the Mount that he didn't abolish the law, that he came to fulfill the law. What does Paul mean when he says Jesus abolished the law? Very simply, the way to God through the Old Testament, through the Old Covenant, was through the law of Moses. That law, by the way, which neither Jew nor Gentile could keep, that law which separated Jews and Gentiles, that law which also contained the sacrificial system which, which sacrifices always pointed to Jesus anyway. And so Jesus came and abolished that old way to God through any failed attempts to keep the law through the the law which separated Jews and Gentiles through the old covenant sacrificial system which pointed to Jesus. No longer do we approach God in that very divisive way. He abolished it. And Jesus, in abolishing the law, by Himself keeping the law, also brought a new covenant promised in Isaiah and and, and Jeremiah, a new covenant which would be written uh, uh, on the hearts of people, not on tablets of stone, a new covenant which would be empowered by God's Holy Spirit uh, 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 that He would place in His people, a new covenant, by the way, which would be for all people regardless of race, nationality, ethnicity, age, social class, or gender. Those old categories have been done away with, which is why Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, there is now neither Jew nor Greek, any national, ethnic, or racial uh, identities. There is neither slave nor free man, forget social class, and there is neither male nor female, gender doesn't matter, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Paul finishes Ephesians 2 verse 15, so that in himself... He might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. He takes these two who were at enmity, who were hated each other. He broke down that wall, and he made them into a new man, establishing peace. Please notice, these are not new and approved Jews. 
All right, these are not new and improved Gentiles. These are new creations, a, a completely new entity, which he's later going to tell us in this book is called the church. And he says, in the church, there is unity there. There is oneness there. I can't help but wonder what Jesus thinks of his splintered body today. Well, he won't get into that. The, he brings these hostile enemies together in the church because the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There are not two levels anymore. gets a little heady. It's important. Remember the theme of Ephesians is in chapter 1, verse 10. The summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and, and, and things on the earth. Paul told us how things in heaven are being summed up in Christ because all things, even his enemies, have been placed under his feet so that right now Jesus is head over the entire universe. That's the heavens. He's head. And now Paul tells us how things on earth are being summed up in Christ by establishing peace between warring factions, Jews and Gentiles, as represented in the church. All things on earth are being summed up in Christ in the church. And so when people tell me today, oh, I don't need the church, you don't get it. It's, what, it, it's the plan of God, the plan of His Son for this planet. The church of Jesus Christ. So He Himself is our peace. He has established peace by creating a new man called the church. He did this first by abolishing the law. Second, by making the two into one horizontal unity. And then third, by taking that one group and reconciling us to God vertically. Because you see, verse 16, we were at enmity with God. He's made that clear um, through all of chapter 2, both Jews and Gentiles. And in one body, He has reconciled us all to God by the cross. Look at the, the last part of verse 16, just about done. He did it through the cross. Now, now notice the wording here. This is incredible. He did this through the cross by having put to death the enmity. Look at the intentional irony that Paul is using. By his death, Jesus killed the hostility that existed between us and God. By death, he killed hostility. One author said it this way, the slain became the slayer. We are at enmity with God, with God in our rebellion. Jesus put that to death by death. God was at enmity with us because of our rebellion, and His wrath was rightly poised against us. Jesus put that to death by death. And so through His death, Jesus becomes our peace. He established peace, peace between Warring groups, Jews and Gentiles, and peace between us and God. Third reference to peace, where Paul quotes Isaiah 57, applies it to Jesus, and he came and preached peace to you who were far away, that's Gentiles, and peace to those who were near, that's Jews. Both groups need the gospel. So Jesus is peace, he established peace, and he preached peace. How is it that Jesus preached 
peace, lots of discussion about that, but it seems to me that Jesus, uh, that Paul is talking about the proclamation of the gospel of peace by His people around the world. You see, we are Christ in the world. We are His body. Every time the gospel of peace is proclaimed, Jesus is preaching peace. Verse 18, as we close, for for through Him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Remember, remember, key word of the morning, before only the high priest had full access to his presence, and that once a year. And now Paul makes the absolutely audacious statement that not only Jews but Gentiles have access in one spirit. We have access to God. That elaborate system of courts and walls and signs all basically communicated one thing, keep out, you are not welcome here. That has been torn down. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. We all have access, the same access by the same Spirit to the Father. Paul gives us all of this and says, remember. Remember who you were. Remember who you are. But I want you to remember how you got there. I could not have picked a more appropriate passage for today, the first Sunday of the month, the first Sunday of the year, and and Communion Sunday. Because you see, communion is meant to be a reminder to us of the great cost that was paid to provide salvation for us. I'm going to go ahead and ask the men to, to make their way to the, uh, to the, to the back.